0: Hey everyone, welcome to
1: episode four of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Bryn Jackson. This week we sat down with Christy Tillman. She's a really great designer. I was lucky enough to meet her when she started using a tool I built a long time ago, and we just kind of kept up. And now she's leading design at the Society of Grownups in Boston, She's a really cool startup focused on spreading financial literacy. She's also a co-founder of the Detroit Water Project, which is helping pay people's water bills. She also worked at IDEO. She worked at Puma and Reebok. She's just a really cool person, and we feel lucky that we got to talk to her about some things that are important to us, but we're not remotely qualified to talk about on our own. So
0: this whole last week, we were hanging out in the top 10 charts of the iTunes store for tech podcast. Thanks so much. If you've left us a review, a rating on iTunes, seriously, every single one of those helps. Anytime we end up on the charts, it gets the show in front of new people who get to hear the show and then they share it. So if you're enjoying the show so far, if you've listened to past episodes, or even if this is your first one, a review on iTunes, even just a star rating helps so, so much. So thank you. Uh, for everyone who's leaving us thoughts and reviews, we really appreciate that. Of course, if you have any ideas, suggestions, or feedback for Bryn and myself, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at DesignDetailsFM. We're reading and responding to all of your tweets. It's been amazing to see them just sort of flow in throughout the week. Different ideas, suggestions. People are giving us some some thoughts on how we can improve the show. So definitely don't hesitate to hit us up on Twitter. If you have anything like that, we're at DesignDetailsFM. And before we get into the show, we have two sponsors we want to thank. Our first sponsor is Weebly. They're the easiest way for designers to build beautiful websites. They have really powerful drag-and-drop tools that let you focus on the design while Weebly takes care of everything else. Best of all, editing sites with Weebly is so simple. You can let your clients make their own updates once you've designed it. Uh, It takes up a lot less of your time. You can try Weebly for free today at Weebly.com.
1: Thanks, Weebly. Once again, our second sponsor is Hover. You all know Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domains. They make the whole domain management process just so simple, and their customer support is just the best. If you haven't bought a domain on Hover yet, you just got to try it. Thanks once again to Hover. And now, let's get down to episode four with Chrissy Tillman. What are you working on lately? What are you excited about?
2: Um, So, I'm working at Society of the Grownups right now, and so, we're a startup that is focusing on changing financial literacy for like 22 to 40 year olds. And so, we have classes in our space. We have a really beautiful space in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a suburb of Boston. And we have events, chats, guest speakers. People come into our space basically for either classes on finances or to get one on one advice. And so, One of our value props is making this kind of information democratized and accessible to people. So, you know, usually it's like you have to have a lot of money to talk to a financial planner. You don't know where to start, but we have this space where people can come in and learn about student loans, learn about saving for retirement, learn about buying their first house. So all this kind of financial information, we're making it available to people like our age. And right now we're in Brookline. Yeah, so we're definitely thinking about how to get it to everyone. So.
1: And you started there in June?
2: Yeah, I started the first week in July, and before that I was at IDEO for almost four years. Um, actually worked on at IDEO. So
1: were you working remotely for IDEO before then? Because they're in the UK, right?
2: Oh, no. So IDEO has um, offices globally, like I want to say 12, 13, 14. So they okay. New York, Boston, um, Palo Alto, San Francisco, Chicago, in, just in the United States, but... Asia, Europe.
1: Oh, wow. That's awesome. I I didn't realize that. I'd only seen a few things from IDEO previously. You also are working on some side projects that are fairly exciting. Yeah,
2: I'm working on um, with Tiffany. We we started the Detroit Water Project around June. We were looking to kind of help people in Detroit because they have a water crisis going on with the Detroit Water and Sewerage Department cutting off water. And we just got on Twitter and we're like, if we could just pay one person's bill, like, how could we go about doing that? And we, it was literally just a Twitter convo between her and I, and we found a list of where the water department um, posts delinquent accounts. And we just put in one of the account numbers in the website, and we realized we could get in without a password, and we're like, eureka. So we just had a list of people who um, we could pay their bills, then how big can we get? So we just put together literally Google spreadsheets and put them on Twitter, and it blew up, and we've gotten almost two hundred thousand dollars in contributions. So if people directly pay water bills. We we match them, so no money goes wow. to us. Wow,
1: so that's we, awesome!
2: Right, we match them with people in need in Detroit, and um, you can pay someone's bill directly. And um, we just got into Y Combinator for winter two thousand fifteen. So,
1: so are, I assume you're one of the nonprofits in in winter fifteen.
2: Yes.
0: How does being a nonprofit work with Y Combinator?
2: Um, so basically, um you I mean you apply like everyone else. They don't take equity for nonprofits, um, but you give the same amount of money, you get all the same resources. So it's pretty much the same as um, a for profit company.
0: Why does Y Combinator do that? Like I get they want to help nonprofits. Um what's in it for them?
2: Um well I think well, I mean nonprofits the word nonprofit, I think, is a little bit of a um, misnomer. It doesn't mean you don't make any money. <laughs> it, yeah. it just means yeah, you don't yeah. have like a board or shareholders and stuff. So, I mean, right. it still functions as a regular company. And one of the interesting things, and, and as you guys probably know, is like about startups is they start start off as one thing and go to another. So it's like we started off as a nonprofit, but there's ways to monetize what we've made, and it couldn't it could be not a nonprofit. Um, <laughs> you know, as we kind of develop what it's going to be. But, um, so, you know, there's a multitude of reasons and you can grow nonprofits to be really big companies too.
0: Right. Okay, cool. That's exciting. So what are the future plans? Um, like how, how's that going to scale out, I guess, to other cities or around the world?
2: Yeah, Tiffany, I've been thinking about that. and We've been, there's like a multitude of directions. It could be other cities, it could be that we look at different types of crisis, like how do we identify crisis? It could be that we look at other utility services or other services that are typically publicly funded. It could be that we kind of think about how you fund social services in general through community versus through the government. So there's just a lot of ways to go about it.
1: So as a designer, are you looking into like creating a way for people to interface with this better? Or is it more of a focus on the social aspect of it rather than the design side?
2: Yeah, it definitely needs a lot of design work. The interesting thing is Tiffany and I aren't in the same city when we started this. So I'm in Boston and she's in Oakland. And so that's made it a little difficult for certain things to happen that would happen better, you know, if you were like in the same space. But yeah, we're definitely working on getting the experience a lot better. I mean, it's basically just a prototype, you know, right now.
1: Yeah, that's super cool that you guys are going after it when it's so far away from both of you.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think it's kind of insane that, like, there was a news story that came out that prompted our conversation that they were thinking about calling the United Nations in to help with the water crisis. I'm just like, we're the United States, right? We don't need the United Nations to help people with basic utilities. Like, I think we're better than that as a a community, you know, as global citizens. And we have people all over the world sending money. Like, we've had people from Ireland, from Australia, from Dubai (laughs) I've spoken to, so... Um, it kind of caught a lot of national uh, international attention too
1: that's super cool that's such an amazing project uh what what kind of got your attention with that was it just like the fact that it was getting a lot of visibility or uh do you know anyone there
2: yeah so um we don't really know anyone in detroit i've been there a couple of times for work purposes but um like i said we just latched on to the fact that this crisis was going on and i don't know even really think that it has gotten a ton of attention i mean um Detroit had a bankruptcy. They've been going through a bankruptcy proceeding. But I don't really think, I mean, in general, people have been paying attention to the decline of the city. But I don't think really anybody nationally has a great grip on, like, all the different issues that are hitting the city. Because there's a lot of different things. Like, there's issues with property taxes. Um, There's issues with pensions. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, And we've learned a lot more about the city as we've done this project. I don't really think it's gotten a ton of attention like that specific problem. So that's one of the reasons we really wanted to help to sort of bring light to the issue.
1: That seems to be kind of a focus for you on like the kind of marginalized communities. Like I saw your piece on uh, the New York Times, which mm-hmm. is incredible about women and minorities being targeted uh, online. Has has that been a like a long term mission of yours to help improve that? Or is that kind of been a focus like locally or, like, or recently? I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So, yeah, I think, so there's not, like, a lot of black designers in general um, working on huge, big problems, and I think it's, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, like, diversity in tech, and there hasn't been as much, I I think, talk about diversity in design, but the two things run, the two issues run parallel, and they they both have similar, you know, common problems, right, pipeline problems, and that kind of thing. So, um, it's just, just it's just been my background, you know. I come from a kind of working class background. Um, I'm with a, neither one of my parents were college educated. I have three college degrees, and so like I've like it's just a part of me to help give back and use my talents for you know other things other than corporate exploits all the time. So it's just yeah. like how can I give back? How can I help solve these problems that I see? Because you know, as designers, we each have a lens that we that you just can't get rid of, right? and that's my lens i see a lot of issues i see a lot of social problems so it's like how can um i use my talents for that even when i had idea i tried to get myself on a lot of social projects like i did a lot of work on di- type 2 diabetes um i did some educational projects so i've always been trying to kind of get on projects you know that had like a little element of good in them because that, that's what motivates me so even with society of grown-ups right it's it's amazing that we can offer these financial services to people um don't have a ton of money and make a difference in people's lives um and, and help them learn how to manage their money. So I'm always looking for that element. I, like I just can't work on like, um, for example, I've been offered positions at social media companies, right? Like that just doesn't feel right to me. Like the type of work I want to be doing. So
0: it's interesting you mentioned that because the this last year was kind of the big breakout of the diversity reports, right? We had a diversity report from facebook twitter apple google like all the big ones um i'm curious how you reacted to those uh and then i wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to those diversity reports
2: yeah um i wasn't really shocked i mean when i when people ask people will come to me and ask me well do you know so and so or do you can you help me find a resource and i can really only think of a handful for example Someone asked me, "Well, do you know any other black designers? We're trying to do a program about it. I can really only name a couple of my friends, right? So I'm not shocked that it's that those kind of numbers came out. Um, I'm actually I actually volunteer for this organization called Boston Youth Design, and we and they place um, high school kids, mostly black, Latino, and Asian kids, in um, design internships in the summer in Boston. So I'm really involved in that, and so I kind of really can see how. Um, the dearth of talent and the dearth of people coming. Even when I was in my design program, I was like one of two African-American designers. So those numbers didn't shock me. Um, I I mean, I think it's kind of plain to see. So I wasn't really surprised.
0: Can you just talk a little bit more about like why that is? Like why are there so few uh, black or even just minority designers in general uh, across the industry?
2: I think it's a complex problem. I think um, so... I think it probably all goes back to money and um, as a broader umbrella. But um, for for example, I was the first, my, neither of my parents are college educated, right? I went to business school first because my parents thought that that's what would give me a great career. I actually did internships with very high profile companies. Um, I was in a five-year MBA program and I decided I hated business. And then I went to grad school to buy some time. I actually applied to a PhD program in three design schools, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll just take a gamble. And I actually was like, okay, I'm just gonna go to the design program. I got accepted into a design school, and I got accepted into the PhD. And I the PhD, I was like, never mind. So it's like people when you're like come from an economic. Economically disadvantaged background, you make decisions that are proven, right? So my parents are like, "Okay, go get an MBA," right? No one thinks to go to art school; that doesn't make any money, and that's kind of you know the 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 stereotype about art school. So it's like a lack of exposure. That's one of the big ones. When I work with uh, different kids at youth design, their parents are like, "Okay, cool, my kids are in this summer program," but it doesn't really translate right into actual, I guess, designers, because people want their kids to do things um, that they're sure that can give them a good lifestyle. So I think a a huge part of that is generally just lack of exposure to the career field. Like even my parents now, they don't like know what I do, right? They know that I do something cool. They know that I don't have to ever call them for money. So they know that I can take care of myself (laughs) and be self-sufficient.
0: That's a good (laughs) thing.
2: And so that's good enough for them, right? And so it's like, Okay, so people don't really send their kids, you know, it's seen as a luxury to send your child to art school. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons. I think there's also hiring reasons. Like I think that I'm a pretty good designer, and I know I've applied to certain places, and I've not even gotten a call back. Um, and I'm not to say that they owe me anything, but I definitely think there's problems in the hiring process um, that keeps people out. So that's a that's another big one. I think all the problems that we talk about in terms of technology is it applies to design as well there's not a lot of even, and this is sort of a circular problem, right? There's not a lot of like big name, black designers. Like there's Eddie Opara,
1: Jared and, Arondu.
2: Right. But I mean, I know Jared on Twitter, but I don't think like people, I don't think like some 15 year old kid, right. Who's looking at design publication. You know, they might not see Jared. They might see, um, they might see Eddie Opara pentagram. They might yeah. see, um, and you know, that's about all I can name. There's another lady. I can't think of her name right now. Um, in new york yeah. she was a teacher she worked at rolling stone uh, i can't recall her name right now but i mean that's it right so it's like a cyclical thing if you don't see people that look like you in a profession it probably also doesn't interest you
1: if you would have asked me like a few days ago i i would have thought i could name a lot more than that and now i just can't that's
2: wow right yeah i'm almost always the only one at every <laughs> every place i've ever worked so before i worked at puma um I was before I worked at IDEO. I was at Puma, and before I was at Puma, I was at Reebok. Um, Reebok actually had a good a good handful of black designers, but most of them were fashion um, okay. apparel designers. They weren't really graphic design. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. So, and it's a complicated issue too. I mean, there's in terms of tech, there's like Kimberly Bryant. She's doing Black Girls Code. There's not really an equivalent for that um, for design. Yeah.
0: Is that a project you'd be interested in working on or is that, are you
1: a little bit tied up right now?
2: I'd love to work on that. (laughs) Like I would love to work on that.
1: Um, I'm sure that takes quite a few resources. (laughs) Exactly. I I was just about to say that.
2: I was just about to say, (laughs) I was like, I'd love to work on that, but (laughs) I have to, you know, pay my rent and my car note and my insurance. And, you know, so it's like, Maybe one day when I get more comfortable, I'll take a, you know, jump off a cliff and take a leap into that. Um, but yeah, that kind of work, that kind of mission work that Kimberly Bryant is doing, it takes an incredible amount of guts and resources. And I, it was rough for her at the beginning. And she's just now, you know, seeing like lots of success. But it, I'm, I'm I'm really excited
1: doing. to see cool stuff come out of that women in general are underrepresented in the tech field like not just in design but we we see a significant lack of women in design like we had a hard time finding like a significant amount to interview on dribble like that's kind of where we started with a lot of people and we went to twitter and we still didn't find a ton right away like it was kind of tough and jared hooked us up he gave us a list of like 50 women that are just incredible designers that we just didn't really realize that they considered themselves designers
2: you know what a, you know what a also Bren has to do with and I've recently learned this in my job because my boss is such a fierce woman is that we women sometimes completely downplay ourselves um and one thing my boss said to me because we're doing we're getting ready to do like our um, reviews um, and we had to write like what are you good at what are you great at and what what do you need to work on and she said and I had a really hard time with this I could not write a lot about what I was great at. And she was like, "You're so great." She was like, "If you were a guy, you would have <laughs> you would have been good at one thing and you would have written 10 things." But she's like, "You're good at 10 things and you <laughs> only wrote one thing." And you know? She was uh. she was jo- but that's true, right? So, like I've been reading this book like Lean In and Confidence Code. Yep. Like there's a huge chasm there for women like really making the case for ourselves, um really speaking up, having the confidence um, to to be like real standout leaders right so girls like we we get we learn to downplay ourselves super early and you know that is a part of the problem
1: yeah we hear that so often like Satya Nadella did that talk about how women they don't need to like work to make that uh, pay gap go away because it'll just happen That that's such a weird concept to me because there's so many women I know that are very vocal and thoughtful and I mean they make themselves known right like they work hard for it, and they're not afraid to tell people. But then, like that doesn't necessarily—that's uh, not necessarily representative of the entire female population, right? So, I, I, I
2: totally agree. It's
1: such an interesting problem, and it's—it doesn't have an easy solution either.
2: And it's also it's really hard too. Sometimes when you're in an all-male environment, like I've worked in in places where I was like one of maybe two or three women out of like twenty total people, and it's just. There's just a lot a lot of um self doubt um that goes on in your head and you you know you're like just as talented as everyone else in the room and you're just like man I can't believe I'm in this room with these other talented designers. I think it's called imposter syndrome. Imposter um,
1: syndrome, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if you have that it means you're a designer. <laughs> yeah totally yeah, so, there you go yeah, well, th- th- that was actually that was your reaction when i first sent you the guest list that we were working on uh when i asked you to join us and you're like why am i on this list <laughs> I'm like because you're awesome and you're like oh yeah. okay <laughs> i
2: was like wow yeah totally so that's probably something that's something that i'm actively working on um i'm actually speaking at um the product design conference in in Jan- at the end of january in new york city and um, I've been asked to speak at conferences before and I've always turned them down like why would anyone hear, want to hear what I have to say <laughs> and so I pu- I'm purposely putting myself out there and like pushing myself to do this conference so that maybe I can break the ice on this kind of like um, promoting yourself or you know just having confidence to just speak with authority about whatever you're working on so I'm going to be doing that awesome. like, in January.
0: I just want to take a quick break to thank our sponsor for this episode, Weebly. Weebly uh, lets you say goodbye to those pesky updates and maintenance work that comes with managing a website for a client. Things like changing a paragraph of text or updating a photo, stuff that would normally take all this back and forth, uh, emails and video calls just to update one small thing. No more. Uh, Weebly lets you just hand the website off to your client The tool has really, really simple features, drag and drop interface. Seriously, anyone can pick it up. Anyone can use it. The bottom line is that Weebly lets you spend more time doing the things you love, like designing cool websites, and gives you happy clients that feel enabled to update their own website. They have the flexibility to keep the site up to date and get the most out of the beautiful site you've created for them. You can take weebly for a test drive for free at weebly.com or they're at dribble.com slash weebly weebly lets you do more design and less maintenance thanks weebly I'm I'm curious to hear how how things are going at society of Grownups um, on the design side it's like such a interesting concept like you're you're trying to democratize financial advice and I've you know, checked out the website and the videos, and talk to me a little bit about how designs played a part in in the company coming up, and how you think about design at the company.
2: Right. So, like, um, so Society's Grownups is born out of collaboration between IDEO and Mass Mutual, um, almost two years in the making, and at the so at, in its very DNA, at the very core of its DNA is design research, and um, that's something we're we're carrying over into uh the start of the company so we've launched in october um we opened our doors in october and so far i was the only designer we're bringing on about we're bringing on a new designer in january two new designers in january i'm sorry and we'll be we're looking for two more so we're quickly going our design team we have a full-time researcher on staff, and so we consider ourselves an MVE. So pretty much everything is up for grabs. The name of my talk at the Product Design Conference is Designing Out in the Open, because so that's basically what we're going to be doing, Well, what we are doing. We're running lots of experiments on the service model, on the cur- curriculum, on how to give advice, on the food that we have in the cafe, on the website, and, and so... It's just a bunch of moving parts. And like I said, I've, this is my, so I'm leading the effort and this is my first time as a design leader. So I'm learning a ton about myself and I'm making a ton of mistakes and that's, I'm learning to live with them and that's totally fine. And so we're, what what, what we're doing is we're doing a lot of testing, very rapid iteration on things, And we're beefing up our design team to kind of support that and our research team. So, this came out of IDEO, and you know IDEO is known for design thinking, and I came from IDEO. I've, I feel like i cut my teeth, even though I've worked at other design places. I've cut, I feel like i cut my teeth at IDEO, and so at the heart of our, our project or our, our company is definitely design research. So everything's open, everything's up for change, and teaching, I think one of the biggest challenges has been teaching people who aren't designers how to think like a designer. I'm used to working with a, a team of designers, and we kind of just, you know, siege on a project and we do our thing and we come up. But working with people who aren't designers has been like a whole new world for me and really trying to figure out how to get them to think intentionally about things, um, how to get them to not make assumptions. How, How do we ask the right questions? Are we designing for the right question? So it's been a lot of teaching and the more you teach, the more you learn. So it's just basically reinforcing a lot of stuff that I already knew.
0: Could you tell me more about that? Like, what are some lessons that you've ended up teaching or maybe mistakes you've learned along the way specifically?
2: One of the biggest mistakes I've made is, I guess, not being directional enough. So really having to take time to help people kind of set themselves up for success. That's one of the things I'm really have, having to do is because I'm one person, right? I can't control all of it. So having trust in in teammates, and specifically ones who, who, ones who aren't designers, is one of the biggest things that I'm learning right now. Um, and also giving them the tools and setting them free, and hoping and you know wishing and praying and trusting that they come back with the right results. So that's been a huge thing, and it's ongoing. And I can say that I'm proud of my team because they are really like taking on to it and running their own experiments and recording things. And you know, it's been really great to watch that kind of happen. So that's kind of one of the biggest mistakes I've made. It's like I guess not giving people enough credit for being able to do the same work that I do.
1: Have you experimented with ways to kind of let them show off their work internally or externally to kind of promote that?
2: Uh, What do you mean by show off? So I know like one thing we do have is we have a big whiteboard downstairs where we're going to be recording all of our experiments now and so that we can actually keep track of them all and hold each other accountable for the results. That's been interesting because I'm used to having everything on the board and we've been like between offices, so I mean it's really a scrappy thing, so
1: yeah that that's exactly what I was talking about like sometimes, like when you're just sharing a spreadsheet or something that has the results, it's, exactly. it's kind of tough, but when you give someone the opportunity to present the results they found it it really uh creates an interesting environment that kind of like pushes up that personal uh confidence in in what they're doing which is I really totally cool.
2: agree. It's funny that you asked that because I just sent an email. Because today was my last day in the office. So I just sent an email today rounding up the different work streams and telling them about our new meeting structure for 2015 that we're going to try in terms of presenting research and everyone being responsible for their own stream of research. And then myself and our researcher helping guide them with experiments um, and helping them just, you know, kind of hone what they're doing um, and letting them go off and do those things. So, yes, we, we were looking at spreadsheets. That didn't work. And so now we're going to start putting stuff up on the walls everywhere. And we're, we're really structuring our research really tightly. It's just been an effort. We've been between two offices, which has been interesting. So learning the importance of space, which is something I already knew. Um, but other yeah. people haven't really understood that. And that's one of the things I have have had to kind of help bring home. It's like, look, we have to have our space because we have to have somewhere to design. So I think one of the interesting things is I'm used to coming – I'm coming from consultancy where we had like – I won't say endless resources, but we had a lot of resources that I took for granted and kind of really adapting to a more scrappy environment has been interesting. How
1: many people are on the Society of Grown-Ups team?
2: Um, I want to say we're at 14 now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, have, so we have financial planners on our team. We have community managers, have a researcher. We have a content manager content management strategist, um, designers, and we are building up our tech team. We actually just posted eight job postings for our our development team um, today. So we're growing very fast. We've had a lot of engagement. People really love the classes. We have people, we've we've been selling out classes left and right. Um, People are really hungry for this type of information. So um, that's those numbers of, you know, justified us being able to grow kind of fast.
0: That's awesome. Um, how are you in the trenches of design every day? Are you like totally in a leadership role at this
2: point? I am totally in the trenches. I've been in the trenches how's since. That? It is grueling. I've been executing <laughs> like nobody's business. I have not executed like this rapidly in a long time, but I was hired for a leadership position. And it's just really just a function of, you know, us getting done what we need to get done. We're beefing up. We've justified um, our engagement strategy to the point where we can bring more people on. So I'll actually be going up to leadership mostly um, because we're hiring a bunch of designers um, to actually, you know, do more of the execution part. But I've been like in the trenches, like making stuff: posters, gift cards, Ah, bags, merchandise, curriculum, um, side decks. You name it, I've made it.
1: You got one of my favorite designers involved, at least for, I think, one mural, Dan Cassaro.
2: Yeah, so Dan did our outside mural. And then Eric, God, and I, I don't want to his pro- mispronounce his last name, but he works with Just- Jessica Hitch.
1: <laughs> Eric Marinovich.
2: Yes, he did our mural in um in the actual space. And it is beautiful and people love it.
1: There's a sushi yeah. restaurant right by my house that he did the wall for, it, and it is just incredible.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that's another thing we do. Like we're like, you know, we, we want to host. Like we're really community based, so we've been hosting events in our space. I want to do a com. I want to do a creative mornings eventually you know ho- and surfacing design talent is another thing that i'm really interested in so i think it's so cool that i'm actually allowed to do those things and i don't really have to ask for ask for, for permission very much to do that's what amazing I want.
1: that's so cool yeah so how does that community element scale to a larger market do you have an idea for that yet or
2: I is do, that but I don't think up in I can talk about it. That's no, fair. That's okay. fair. No, <laughs> spill
1: the secrets, spill them. So you said you've been cranking a lot. Do you show off your work anywhere, or is that pretty tightly held as well?
2: So when I was at Ido, I really had nothing I could really show because everything is NDa down. And now that I have a ton of work from Society of Ups that I can show, I just have not had time to put it up on the site. So once we get Cruel once irony. We, once we bring some of our designers on, like I have one designer who's really cool who's starting on the 5th, and then I'm bringing another one on at the end of the month, um, I, w- I think I'm going to create, uh, I think we want to create a Team dribble and a Team um, Behance account where we can show off all of the collateral that we're making. That's awesome. Um, so, I'm yeah. so excited to see that. <laughs> I-, I
1: was so, just yeah. going to ask how you're going to do it.
2: Yeah. So I want to do that. Maybe, I, th- I think we're going to start blogging to the design team because we have a blog on our site. I think we're probably going to start doing more of that. Now that we you know have more headcount. count, because um, design is just so crucial to society, grown ups, you know, from the way it works to the way it looks. So,
1: yeah, you're working on such unique problems too. Like they're not easy. Like people aren't necessarily comfortable talking about their finances with other people.
2: That's so true. People will talk about sex before they talk about like their <laughs> finances. It's it, no, it's oh, the craziest thing. Like people will tell you everything they did last night, but they will not tell you how much money they made. But um. <laughs> Uh, Our financial planners are actually pretty amazing and they have, it's interesting because like we actually rotate one of our, um, one of our, uh, one of our research strategies is having different um, grownups, our team sit in the classes um, and observe them and then kind of report after what they found um, about engagement, how people use the materials, all types of things that we're looking at. And so it's really been interesting to see like when people are in the room with where everyone's like congregated and saying that, hey, I have the same problem. Like I'm behind on my student loans. or I have a lot of student loans. People open up and they talk or, it, or if there's like one person who starts off, other people will say, OK, it's OK for me to kind of talk about my credit or my student loans. We're also working on technology tools, too, to help some of those more private conversations. So like polling from iPhones and iPods in the classes is something we're working on. So the, so the instructor can ask a question and people can anonymously answer it and we can see the results in the class so that, they, that the instructor can kind of know like who's in the room in terms of how to tailor their presentation. So that's another big thing that we're working on in terms of technology.
0: What's the hardest design challenge that you're working on uh, at this moment in time?
2: It's probably the curriculum so getting the curriculum just right—it's like
0: well, uh, it's, the curriculum. Could you just explain? Yeah, like, a little it, background yeah. The of classes,
2: for example, like understanding who's in the class. So if we're if we're running credit and debt, people will come in who have a ton of debt, and then people may come in who are really good at managing their debt, or they don't have any debt. And so tailoring the classes for the right audience has been been a, it's been really hard um, writing the class descriptions and getting them right having the classes at the right level it's been very difficult and you know how do you message that to people because these topics are just so big so basically setting expectations for people when they register for a class has been a lot something that we've been really kind of working on like we've added more content we've taken content down we're, we're working on bundling classes so what happens if a spending class? and Credit to Debt runs together for a longer period of time? Should it be a workshop? Should it be a chat? So we have a couple of different formats. Like we have chats which are shorter and then we have classes which are longer. Okay. So that's been, a, we've been tinkering with that for a while. And that's one of the reasons we kind of sit in the classes too. Like it, each one of us is responsible for sitting in a class and taking those kind of, getting that feedback. And we also ask the people who sit in the class for feedback as well. So. Um, We get a lot of feedback in terms of our instructors and setting expectations for like what is the content of the class.
0: There's been a huge wave of budgeting apps that I've seen come out Mm -hmm. where it's like really, really simple one screen apps uh, where you plug in your bank account information and, and they try and do these interesting things with design showing you like a progress meter or some sort of visual representation of your budget. They seem to maybe take some of the human element out of like financial planning or having a in-person class can apps like that be effective, or do you feel like there's a human element needed to to be successful when it comes to managing money?
2: Well, that's the question, and I think the answer to that would be a huge assumption. Um, and when we go to kind of get to that point, we're definitely going to be looking at both options and in, in trying to figure out um, which one of those. I think the question is completely open. It could be that, you know, there are a ton of budget apps or a ton of financial apps. It could be like, you know, that's just one of those nuts that you just can't crack. Or it could be that, you know, someone's just haven't done it the right way. Or it could be that you just really have to have a human. Um, And and we're prepared. We've already thought about this a lot. So we're prepared to kind of go down both roads in terms of like testing when when we do research. That's like the one that's actually like the one of the biggest questions we have in terms of in terms of digital conversion and bringing our classrooms, classroom and one-on-one advice to people. Totally.
0: What's the measures of success there? Like, is it number of people that manage their money well by some, some level, or is there an objective way to measure the success of apps uh, that help you with budgeting?
2: So right now we like in our physical space, we're looking at engagement in terms of people who take classes and people who repeat, in terms of digital stuff, and even in our classes, we've been thinking a lot about actionability. So, is it enough just for people to come in the class and get information, or do we want to, or is it, or is the goal to have them take action? And that's actually one of the things we're testing, like in some of the content, in terms of like the workshops, for example, the student loan workshop. It went from a class, and now it's actually a workshop where people actually the instructor shows you how to go to the National Federal Loan Database and pull all your loans, right? Or the Credit and Debt Workshop, where you kind of, you get to Credit Karma and you pull your credit report and you can get like um, more one-on-one instruction. So the idea of taking action, I think it's huge. I think that's kind of the proof is in the pudding, right? And how you mm-hmm. measure that, it's, I don't know yet. That's like one of the things we're going to have to figure out. And we've asked that question too. Like taking action is huge for us. Um, because that's how we know, like, some of the curriculum is a a success. We don't, you know, it's just not enough for people to sit in the class and just absorb it. Um, So we're trying to design for that. Um, We're trying to, like, think about how do we bridge our one-on-one sessions in our classes. So, you know, after you take a class, you get a one-on-one session with a planner to help you come up with a plan. How do we get people to come back after they've spent some time and let their plan kind of sit with them? what have they done afterwards so all of those are questions that we're you know we're we're asking and trying to design for
1: do you find that the the people who come to the class are a pretty diverse audience i, I would imagine that that's a pretty broad problem
2: yeah it's diverse it's super diverse um and that's actually one of our kind of like values as well is reaching diverse. i don't know if you've seen i don't panic stuff on our twitter account um and on our website but um no
1: i had not currently our
2: grown-ups are diverse we have we have people um we have college kids we have 30 and 40 50 60 year olds come in our space um we have people who have zero savings we have people who have some savings it's very diverse um and even when people you know don't have a particular need they know someone that does so like parents will come in and say, hey. I want to get a gift card for my son for the student loan class or, you know, so it's it's a huge problem and everyone has it. So, yeah, we see a lot of different people. And we also kind of incorporate that in our materials as well um, in terms of design. Like the people that you see reflected in our materials are diverse range of people, um, and not just ethnicity, but like um, types of families. And that kind of thing, too. So we want those those people to feel reflected in our space.
1: Just want to jump in once again for a quick second to thank Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. They remove all the hassle and just give you what you need instead of trying to nag and upsell you on add-ons and extras. Their site is clean, simple, beautiful, and really just makes managing your domains a breeze. If you ever run into trouble, they've got an amazing customer service team to help you out. I use them for all my domains and they're the only registrar I've really enjoyed using. If you've never used Hover, go to their site, search a few keywords, see if you find something you like. If you already have some domains, you should really try out their valet transfer service. I use it to transfer over some of my domains and it still blows my mind that that exists. Either way, use promo code, that should be a plugin at checkout, all one word, and you'll save 10% on your first purchase. They only came from the show, which really helps us out. And you'll get a great domain on a great service. Thanks once again to Hover.
0: I don't want to change topics too fast. Um, I was <laughs> just in the back of my mind, you guys are like hiring so much tech talent. Um, have you noticed an issue with that or trouble finding design talent on the East Coast? I know it continues to be a problem over here.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. So one what are you guys the, doing about that? One of our... Um, I, I know one of our... Um, Tech position has been on the website since like the beginning. <laughs> We've had a, d- a design
0: positions.
2: position. No, uh, one of our developer developer. Oh, positions. okay. Yes. Oh man. We're having to go after people. I actually told Bryn this, but I spent time going on Dribble and looking at um, talented people's portfolios, and actually emailing them. And I'm going to do that again over the holidays. It is tough. Everyone's competing for the same people, and one thing I've learned cuz I've looked at I want to say I've looked at at least 200 portfolio design portfolios within the last 3 weeks and I can I can say with my hand on the bible that all the talented designers are already employed they're not <laughs> <laughs> they are not applying for jobs let me tell you the ratio of okay to oh my god portfolios is pretty high <laughs> so I'm actually You want to start getting a lot more strategic and going after talented people and and giving them something and a reason to come over to talk to us. Because all those people are employed.
1: Yeah, what are some of the common mistakes you see?
2: That's a good thing. So here's the thing with designers, like young designers don't know good work from bad work. They go for quantity and not quality. I mean, every designer has some work that we're not proud of, right? And that's always yep, going to be sure. the case. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's like <laughs> young designers will pack their portfolios with everything or they think just because it has a national brand or something on it that they should always include it. And they don't know how to curate their portfolios well. And they don't know what their good work is and their bad work. So I see a lot of inconsistencies. Like I'll see something that says, hmm, maybe I want to email this person back. And then I scroll a little bit more and go, eh, mm-mm. Um, so that's one of the big things too. A lot of the good work looks alike. People are really like stuck in trends. They don't want to try anything new. Definitely, um, it just all looks like it came off of dribble, U- dribble University. So um, those are the two biggest things I've seen. Then there's just plain bad work. Um, people, uh, and here's a tip too that I've noticed that people don't understand that. Design positions are written with a, with, with like a spe- specific job in mind. So if you're applying for a print position, don't apply for the print position, the digital position, um, <laughs> the UX <laughs> position. You can't <laughs> like
0: you, you can't you, do them all
2: exactly. So I, I it makes me think that you don't really know what you're good at or what you want to do if you apply for all of the open design positions with the same portfolio. Like don't do that. Pick a job. <laughs> and, and apply for it don't apply for all the jobs and it tells me you don't really know what you're doing um
0: how, how much yeah. does culture fit weigh into your decision when looking at designers uh, uh is that it, a factor
2: yeah it it definitely so what what i do is i really quickly scan and i can really tell within about 45 seconds if i want to talk to someone 45 um, seconds based on 25. just
0: looking at their portfolio
2: Mm-hmm. i'll look at their portfolio crap well, that's that's an elimination. Let me take that back. That's elimination. If it's something interesting, then I'll poke. Like I'll go to the website that they say they designed, or I'll go to their Behance and look at other work or whatever. just yeah, you 45- can't afford
1: to spend forty five right. minutes on each person, like, right? That's-
2: I can't, and the volume of portfolio that I get um is just is a lot. So forty five seconds, I can decide I don't want to talk to someone. And then if I do, I'll poke around and, and see. And then I'll send them an email and say, hey, you want to talk on the phone? You know, I, I thought your work was pretty interesting. And yes, culture fit is huge. People people have to really be able to live with uncertainty and a lot of ambiguity when they work in startups. Because everything is just always moving and you have to be comfortable with it. And you have to be able to take ownership of your work stream. And that's super, super important. No one has time to hold your hand. Um, and you just have to really be able to just jump in and be able to contribute on day one. So that's really, you know, what I'm really looking for. And so um, I talk to them. If they sound great, we'll bring them in. So we have a new person starting on the 5th. He's super awesome and super talented. And I cannot wait to work, work with him. He can just, you share his name? We can definitely yeah, link to him on Chris, the show notes. Yeah, his name is I think his Twitter is C at C... M-I-C-H-O-N. I think that's his Twitter. Yeah. He's awesome. And so he'll be coming to work with us um, and really taking ownership of the, the curriculum design, which is a huge undertaking. We have a lot of work streams, so um, I probably should say that. Like, we I've actually never service.
0: heard the term work stream before. Really? No. What do you mean by that?
2: So we, so a work stream is just basically a path, right? So our service model, like how do you come in the door? What happens when you come in the door? What happens when you go to the cafe? What happens when you go to the library? What happens when you go to the classroom? How do you interact with the instructor? What do the materials look like? So that's like the service, right? How do you go to um, a checkup or a financial therapy? So that's kind of like the service model. And then we have all of the content for the classes, which are building the curriculum. That's a whole work stream in itself. How do you design the actual output of the materials and actual the content? So that's a curriculum work stream. And then we have um, the, the community managers who go out and do partnerships, who run the cafe, who run the library. That's a whole work stream. Um, and then our technology. And so all these things collide um, and people have ownership of all of them. Um, and that's kind of how we kind of organize it.
1: Do you think that's like a physical space product kind of terminology? Like we're we're always got our heads buried in apps, so like <laughs> we think about user flows and stuff. And uh yeah, that's like, the closest comparison I could make is like yeah, a UX sprints? flow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've never yeah, heard. Yeah, totally. Work, it work probably stream. would
2: be the same thing. Yeah, I think it definitely manifests that we're a physical space, but we also have a digital space, and we have a product. Yeah, so maybe that's that's why we've been just. Disc- I don't even know where that word came from. It just kind of popped up and we've just been using it. But it makes sense to us. Yeah,
1: it's it's very (laughs) obvious about what it
0: is. Designing (laughs) a physical work stream like that sounds... I I can't even wrap my mind around that. Like if someone walks in the door, how do you design that first experience? Um, Can you share some stuff you've learned about this stuff? Meet
1: space, user onboarding?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like actually designing the room or, I mean, do you think about like... Yeah. So smells when and temperature in, and all this kind of stuff.
2: Exactly. When people walk in, like, okay, do we want them to go to the, we have a community manager, we have community managers in the cafe, in the classroom, in the library. So wherever you go in the space, there's someone that can actually talk to you about what we're doing. Then um, we have a computer there that helps you, that you can register. Um, and so how do you get people to register for classes? Is one thing things we've been trying to um, really in, in the space, really help them with um how do you get people one of the big things too is how do you get people to leave after class so (laughs) our (laughs) class,
0: how do you do do it how do you do it
2: i'm so serious you really have to design for this too because people will literally stay in the space um like an hour and a half after class after a class gets out at eight and you know people are ready to go home you know it's it's time to shut down the space and people just want to stay and that's actually one of the problems we're working on like how do you design how do you design to get people out of the door Also, too, how do you design um, to make community? So we have these interesting tables that we got from Fort Standard in our classroom. And we've actually been changing the table configuration every other class and recording what happens and how do people engage with each other based on the configuration. One of our one of our types of formats is a suburb club where people actually have a very nice dinner over um, one of the classes during one of the classes and so we've been experimenting whether that should be a buffet should it be family style i sat in a one that was family style it was super awkward because i like i (laughs) wanted chicken but chicken was at the other end of the table and i didn't want to ah those monsters (laughs) i didn't (laughs) want to interrupt the class asking for chicken right so i just stuck with a short rib because it was by me right so it's like that's a really interesting
1: (laughs) problem to have to solve for (laughs) users i
2: mean that's Exactly. So it's like all these interactions in this space really require intentionality. Like I was talking to one of the community managers and she was saying that when she puts out snacks for the classes, because the snacks are packaged, people feel like they can't take them because they think they have to pay for them first. So, (laughs) so it's literally like, and so we were like, well, why aren't people eating snacks in the class? We provided snacks, right? And And people weren't taking them. And now we put a sign and now people take them, right? So it's like every little interaction in the service model requires thought. (laughs) And, you know, you don't ever really think, you know, that you're designing for taking chips, but it's super important that people like have nourishment during the classes because they're coming after work. You know, we want to make sure that they feel good and they have something to eat and snack on while they're there. So like we even like have been rotating different types of snacks. And, like, how do people react to those different types of snacks? So, like, the service experience is super, super important. And I've, you know, when I was at IDO, I worked on tons of the service experience, like, you know, like how do you get people through a line? I worked on the Converse project where we kind of experimented with will people pay for shoes if, um, if they had to leave the store without the shoe, then we shipped them because they had an inventory problem, right? So, always thinking about these interactions in space is something I've done before. So, it's, you know, it's supernatural to me to kind of think about it in the grown-up space in the same way. And, you know, helping my coworkers think about that, you know, because they don't really think about that as a design problem. And I see it as definitely a design problem.
0: Definitely. I was curious if you discovered any maybe, like, generalities or, like, quirks of human behavior and human psychology. Are there like, patterns you can predict?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: hmm.
1: Let's speak in broad stroke stereotypes here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Let me see. Uh
1: That always goes well.
2: Oh yeah. So this is a funny one. The locks on the bathroom. So we had <laughs> we our, our space is brand new and we had these pin locks, they're really thin um buttons that actually locked the bathroom and people like that came back were not like using them. Oh, and, and employees too. Like there was this issue about the bathroom and people didn't really want to use them. They wanted to go downstairs. So we changed the locks. Now we have deadbolt locks in the bathroom and people feel more secure to use the bathrooms now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how did you even, how did you figure that out? How did you know it's just had, the locks?
2: Talking to people. So I pretty much live in the space and you go out and you just talk to people and just sit at sometimes I'll leave my computer and I'll go sit in the library and talk to people. Um and they'll talk to me they don't know who i am and they just tell me everything so <laughs> i do that a lot like i really like it's easy to be a designer and like go in the corner but um we're such a new thing that no one's really ever done before so it, t- it requires talking to people a lot
1: that's so cool uh going from these like insane levels of detail in in the physical like space how does that translate to working on a digital product then
2: uh oh, that's a great question.
1: I guess we're kind of running up against your time limit. You said you were pretty low, but I I know that's kind of a deep question.
2: So um, I guess I'm gonna say that I don't know yet. I I mean, the overarching umbrella is really intentionality. Um, and because we haven't done it yet, I can't really say. Okay. Um, but I mean, it's the same team of people working on it that is working on the physical space mostly. We have more digital people on it, of course. Um, But that same level of intentionality that it's kind of like the hallmark of our brand will be brought over into the digital space. I don't know how that's going to play out yet. We just haven't done it yet. I can't wait to see
0: how that's going to turn out because any uh, web developer or app designer like especially onboarding like that just comes to mind like we think about that for hours and hours yeah. and hours how do yeah, you make you know that that's first exactly experience warm this right?
2: experience you're definitely correct is onboarding well, yeah so like,
0: how, how do you make that first experience warm uh what were you gonna say
1: another problem is that like a bunch of 25 year old overpaid white kids in a city that are, we're not good at managing our finances right like <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah like i'm super excited do, do you know when that product's coming like gonna be available out here
2: uh i can't really talk about that that's fair i don't, fair. Want, I, don't no. want, I don't want my i thought this. that
1: was a risk <laughs> <laughs> uh, had to go for <laughs> it i know
2: well, i know
1: you've been amazing and thank you so much for spending so much time talking to us you're um,
2: welcome this was awesome i hope i didn't say i um too much I probably no,
1: no one says um am more than brian okay. uh <laughs> what <laughs> where can people find you and your work and society of grown-ups
2: so Society's Grown Ups Society of Grown Ups dot com and our Twitter is at Society Grown Ups. Doesn't have an oven. And I'm at Christy T on Twitter. And hopefully I'll have my website updated, which is boycottlettuce.com dot com.
0: Boycott Lettuce. <laughs> Wait, can you explain that <laughs> one real quick?
2: So there's this poster. So like I discovered that the Black Panthers had this amazing like art director that did all of their propaganda posters. And so I found that on a website, there was a website with all of the posters like for like 20 years. And it went over like all the process of the collaging and photo collaging. And the work is amazing. And one of the posters, one of the covers of one of the magazines was Boycott Lettuce. It was about a a farm boycott in California. I want to say in the 1920s, and there was this um, Mexican rights group that led it, and the signs on the cover said Boycott Lettuce. And I thought that was like an interesting like way of resistance. And so I just jacked it. I love that. I that's, love that. Boycottlettuce.com. That's super okay. memorable, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah.
1: Well, Christy, thank you again. It's been awesome having you on. Uh, I'm excited so to push much. this episode live. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Christy. Thank you. We'll i